Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Lukas Heisch. Hello, everybody. Nader Dabit. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Thomas. I should have asked how to say your last name. Is it Ilot? Ilot. It's A-Lot. like a whole big bunch. Uh, do you want to real quick just uh, let people know who you are, why you're world famous, all that stuff? Hello, I'm Thomas uh, Alot, like a whole big bunch, and I am a maker of things that do stuff at thingsthatdostuff.com, where I'm generally just doing a lot of random stuff these days, mostly web-related. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we, we uh, brought you on to talk about Framer X. Yes. And uh, I've, I've only t- been able to take a few minutes to look at it. I've, I've been dealing with some health issues lately, so I, mm. I didn't spend a lot of time preparing. Do you want to just give people the elevator pitch on Framer X, what it is and what people are using it for, and then we can kind of dive in from there? Cool. So uh, first of all, I am not involved with the project in any way. The people who do it are ex-coworkers, friends, buddies, etc. I'm very interested in it. I'm passionate about it, but I don't actually use it too much. I used to be a designer back in the olden days, a uh, print designer. <laughs> to me, it, it perfectly in, encapsulates kind of the where I see things going in the industry. If you kind of see the progression of tooling and, and things from back in the 90s until today and into the future, and then compare that to like uh, the video game industry. And you can kind of see that they are where we are going to be 10 years from now, now. So like if you've ever played with Unity, it's not just a, an IDE, it's not just a tool, it's not, it's like a bunch of things all to combined. And it's unimaginable that anybody would make a serious game from scratch, like with, with ASCII art style programming. But in, in the, the web industry, we're still kind of doing things the 1970s way. Uh, things have progressed a lot, you know, VS Code and, and uh, React. And there's a lot of tooling. There's a lot of workflow enhancements that have really uh, helped. The biggest shift isn't so much with the tooling, isn't so much with the details, but it's more about audience. Because a, a lot of the tools right now are work really, really well for people that think in a certain way, whose brains just work better in in that way. And it's kind of left out a lot of people who are more visually oriented that kind of struggle in the, the code space. So that's why I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's a pretty good overview. Um, so... Like, if someone wants to use FramerX, like, what, what does that offer them versus just writing the code themselves? Right. So, FramerX itself is, is a design tool. It is not for developers. It is for designers. They are not currently targeting code generation or anything like that. It's for doing rapid prototyping, user interface design, especially designing interactions and gestures and things like that. But they haven't made a secret of the fact that they're targeting it as a, a development tool, or not exactly a development tool, but kind of blurring the lines of what tooling really means. But that's like, you know, their long-term vision and their short-term vision is getting designers to be productive in the now. Right, a, that makes sense. I know that it was really popular in the React community for yeah. um, like the launch time around that time. I used to see a lot of people talking about it. 
So um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's all React based also. Um, so one of the most fascinating things about it is that it shares all the same concepts as React. It has you know state and props and uh, children and uh, stuff like that. You actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I, I've seen the, the the tool a little bit. We talked with the designers here at ZocDoc. We we looked at at the tool. We had the hope that we could actually like use it to to start to to build our website. Like, oh, what if the the prototypes the designers create? What if they they can be using already our production code, right? Our production components. But unfortunately, I think it's it's still not there. But yeah. it's yeah, it's kind of where it's headed to, right? Yeah, they've been explicit that that is a non-goal right now. They've even mm -hmm. tried to discourage people from trying to do that right now. But it's it's no secret that that's where they want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that because there's an interesting like workflow today with designers. Is that uh, it's pretty much like a. a uh, when we use the tooling that we have today, it's pretty much like a one-way workflow from design to, to yeah. the devs, right? You have like feedback back to, to designers, but the workflow, the tool, everything that happens like in the tooling, just the way we have with GitHub among designers, yeah. uh, among developers, I'm sorry, like we don't have that with designers, right? We don't have like a conversation with them inside our tools yeah so that would be really cool like yeah it, yeah it seems that we can start having that with framework if the if the developers start like developing framework ready react components yes to be used so this could like start this whole like conversation side tooling that would be really interesting but i don't believe today it's, it's still there but it's going to be awesome when it happens yeah, you know, it's it's funny the way you're talking about this. It reminds me of if you go to Adventures in Angular. Yes, I know this is a React podcast. If you go to mm -hmm. Adventures in Angular and you listen to Amishko talk about him starting Angular, initially, I think they called it Portfolio or something, but it was trying to solve this problem. And then it morphed into a programmer framework and kind of lost a lot of the developer designer appeal. And mm. so this has been a thing that people have been talking about for a while. And it's oh, just yeah. interesting to see a tool out here that is, I guess, making strides in that direction. Yeah. The, I think I mentioned this in, in uh, the talk. There's been like a Cambrian explosion of tooling in the design space. You rewind just a few years ago and it was just Photoshop forever. And then like a certain year hit and it just like exploded. There's a million different tools. And it seems like they're all kind of dancing around some Something nobody's quite cracked it yet. They they're all kind of taking different approaches. There's like Webflow over here that's doing some really awesome stuff. There's uh, what's it called? Uh, man, it's another F one. Uh, I feel bad. Figma, <laughs> Figma. They're doing some really cool stuff. Framers doing really cool stuff. Um, abstract. Uh, speaking of which, you said like GitHub for designers. That's like the the entire goal of Abstract. Get Abstract or Go Abstract or whatever. And that's really, really interesting. So they're, they're all kind of like, it's like a brave new world. It's like the, the early 90s again when it comes to like desktop publishing apps. It's like there's a lot of just fragmentation and eventually there's going to be consolidation. And mm -hmm. Yeah, so one question, like it seems that these tools back in the day, like to, if you go back like 20 years ago, it seems that 
we were kind of headed to to those type of of tools. Yeah. Why, why do you think we we got back to as as I said like more seventies like coding? And why do you think there there's like a rebirth of this? I think right um, now I mentioned this a little bit in my talk, and I think it was part of the the controversial aspect of the talk is that it it comes down to the the human aspect and the kind of the tribe war kind of aspect of you know the the power structures and how do you go from you know being just a complete noob to being relevant in the industry you have to you have to play within the status quo in order to to become relevant and if the status quo way of doing things is just doesn't vibe with how your brain works it's going to be more of a struggle and so things have kind of diverged to into separate camps. There's like the um, the very engineering focused programmers, then there's the, like the UIE centric that kind of blur the lines between front end and design, and then there's the like the more the design focused camps. And it's like it's hard to blur the the lines between those because there's so much force kind of pressuring you to do things the way that that camp does things. And it's hard to, to do things differently, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I see what you're saying where, you know, people kind of follow a track. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we, we follow the developer track and other people have followed the design track. The, thing, the other thing that I think is in, interesting here is that I think frameworks like React, Vue, and Angular at this point, since they're so focused on components and they give us all of this power up front. Yeah. What has changed, and I think this is why Angular failed to bridge that designer gap, is because they started building out the tools that they wanted, and they realized that they needed a whole lot more built on top of that. I mean, can you imagine trying to do this with jQuery or something? Yeah. Backbone? I mean, we just didn't have the infrastructure for it, and I think we're getting close to it now. And it feels like, you know, you mentioned all these other tools. I think all of these other tools are kind of the, the early ember or uh, backbone or knockout of of this particular movement, and it'll be really interesting to see where they wind up in another five to ten years. Yeah, and it seems like kind of like React is like an abstraction on top of the DOM, or or not just the DOM, but any kind of uh, view hierarchy, because you know React Native and whatever. Uh, it seems like some of these design tools are like a another higher level abstraction on top of that, and it's all based on the component model. I actually had a startup, a, a, a kind of secret startup that I was doing where I was trying to build my own design tools almost exactly 10 years ago. It was like when the iPad came out, it's like I changed everything. I was like, I'm building uh, design tools for the iPad. That's, that's going to be the future. But like I was 20 years too early <laughs> and I ran out of money and <laughs> the you know industry collapsed and stuff. But um, when I was at Facebook, but, uh, before I really got to know uh, Kohnbach, the, uh, the framer guy. There were a few people at, at Facebook that were working on kind of vaguely similar things, design tools oriented, future looking kind of stuff. And I tried to do a component-based design tool, but it was before React existed. And it like, the tool basically proved that we <coughs> needed something to like own the component thing and Tomachino uh the anybody know Tomachino the he was like manager of the react team for a long time 
he kind of pulled me aside and said, like, you're way out here. And like, it's like, you know, digging tunnels through the mountain. Like, if you're starting way too far away, what's the, what are the chances you're going to meet in the middle? It's like almost zero. So he convinced me to join the, the actual React team and push things forward that direction instead of mm-hmm. from the other direction. And he was right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, I think eventually we're going to build up to the height that you're talking about. But yeah. Yeah, it's a much bigger Trying project. to get our scaffold to go to that point in the sky. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's tough. It's a big deal. It's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But like, on the other hand, you talk about the ga- uh, game, the game industry, and yeah. how they have like Unity and a bunch of other like, uh, there's a lot of like commercial tools. I wonder if this gap was still not a field because of money. Like it seems that there's Absolutely. much more money in that industry. That's what I learned trying to build uh, developer tools is um, developers are are not easily parted from their money, let's say. <laughs> nobody pays for dev tools. Nobody. They just don't. Like, when's the last time you paid anybody any money for any kind of development tool ever? Yeah. Um, People keep designers pay yeah. money. Boom. Mm-hmm. There's your market. That's why they get good tools. I think if there were, like, standards, like a standardized set of tools for developers, I think it'd be a different story. But you've got free ones out there like Visual Studio Code, and then yeah. everybody uses something different, right? And so it's hard to convince the company to go out and pay for it. But if everybody was using um, IntelliJ or whatever, what, what is it? That's WebStorm, right? If everybody was using WebStorm and all of the best tools were in WebStorm, then people would go buy it. You know, they so wouldn't. in the C-sharp community, they go buy Visual Studio. They do it. Right. But in, in, our, in our world, on the web, it just doesn't happen. What's funny is that like, that's actually why I got into the web instead of becoming a programmer or a designer is because I had no money as a teenager and the web was free. I had a yeah. notepad <laughs> no. and that's all you needed. Buying a Photoshop. Yeah. That no was chance. a big investment. Oh, it's yeah. like 1500 bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. Plus a computer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I understand. I think that the, the web is like, to like an it's like a an uh, anarchy in that sense and it this anarchy comes with pros and cons like yes. on, the, on the on the same like i can't imagine if you stop and think about like visual studio code right this is an yeah. amazing tool with all these amazing extensions like being built and maintained by microsoft and it's thank you microsoft yeah, yeah. This is crazy. It's crazy to think about it. But on the other hand, it's, as you said, it's still like code like the 70s. Yep. But um, that was such a brilliant move on Microsoft's part because like DevTools, TextMate, like I was so addicted to TextMate since like 2004. I was, I bought Mac just for TextMate. (laughs) And VS Code, finally switching to VS Code, I switched to all Windows. I'm all, oh I, I have given Microsoft thousands and thousands of dollars. I even custom built my own Hackintosh because I wanted the best hardware, but still be able to use all. But Windows is just so good now. <laughs> wow, <That's> interesting. <laughs> I know, I feel so weird saying that, but <sighs> like Windows 10 is really good. Everything's better. Like Chrome is so much better on Windows. That's interesting. I develop uh, mainly Macs today. Yeah. 
and I was thinking about like I, I uh, right now at the moment I, I don't have like a personal computer. Uh, I only have my my work computer. And I was I was wondering like if I was going to buy like a personal computer now, uh, what would I buy? And I was thinking like, mm, is it time to go to Windows because like it's so expensive, yeah. man. <laughs> the hardware is so so gorgeous now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, like the the Dell XPS whatever, that's hot. I got mm-hmm. the Surface Book, mm-hmm. so good. I actually use it in the tablet thing. Okay. Yeah. I've heard nothing about complaints from my friends that have Surface uh, Surface tablets, but um, I'm a designer at heart, so yeah. But uh, I mean, I completely understand. I I invested two thousand dollars last year in a you know kind of a top of the line ish uh, machine that I could do development on and you know put Windows on it, and for the most part, it works great and. The only real hang-up I had was that I don't like PowerShell, but you, you can get Bash for, you know, runs on the emulator in Windows. Yeah. It looks great. So, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely see where you're saying. I think a lot of these barriers are going away. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. I mean, it takes some real effort to switch over, but it's, yeah, it it's totally doable. Yeah. And some things are even better, like cho- chocolatey, cho- chocolatey, whatever you call it. Chocolatey, yeah. Yeah. It's like homebrew, but for everything. <laughs> Yeah, but th- isn't there like support now? There's like a Ubuntu terminal inside yep. of Windows or something like that that it's you can use. It's not ready. Oh, it's not ready. Okay. Not for web development. Okay, because- I've used it and it worked okay. It wasn't okay. perfect, but it worked okay. They're they also, to- I think, have a SUSE Linux one if you're mm-hmm. at your speed. But Yast makes me nauseous. So one thing that that that, that I think could could not work out is, and then Nether could talk more about that. Like, in, uh, you work with uh, more with React Native, uh, right, Nether? So then you lose a lot by not being able to to create like iPhone apps wow. <laughs> on your machine, right? Yeah, yeah. If you use Expo, um, you still can simulate on your own device, but you're not able to use any native code. You're only able to use JavaScript. Um, if you need to write any native code, uh, you have to be on um, on a Mac. So CocoaPods doesn't work. Well, you can just get a Mac build uh, machine. What Facebook did, I think this is all public knowledge now, they had just like racks and racks and racks of Mac minis, like literal off the shelf, straight out of Apple store Mac minis, just racks of them just for doing automated builds. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and uh, you can also rent Mac machines in the cloud. So. Yeah. If, if you've got a build for the Mac or build for iOS, I wouldn't be shocked if you can use the Xamarin uh, Visual Studio for Mac or Visual Studio mm-hmm. to, to simulate it that way. If you're a mobile developer at this point, a lot of new frameworks are coming out for cross-platform. You're going to see even more of them, I think, um, mm-hmm. in the next couple Flutter. of years. The Flutter was out and, and, of course, React Native. And then Ionic is doing another big push. And then Xamarin was bought by Microsoft. Um, I think we're going to start seeing convergence across web and desktop as well. So mm-hmm. if you yeah. develop for um, you know Mac OS or iOS, it then but does become that's kind of the main the main issue I think that a lot of people have. But if you're only developing for web or you're only developing for Android, then it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So Taylor, there's another interesting uh, thing here. You, I'm, I'm looking at your website now, and we we're talking about like. Who, me? Yes, the, the, yes, Tom. Oh, Thomas, not Taylor. Yeah, yeah I think you said I'm Taylor. Sorry. Thomas A. Lot. It's like I get a lot of spam email that's sent to Taylor. I, 
Yes, I just joined <laughs> your two names. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Right, Thomas. So I'm looking at your website now, and we're talking about like the past, right? The tooling, the evolution of tooling. It's re really interesting because you have articles from like that go back to 2005. And <laughs> I forgot I had a website, right? That's 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 <laughs> that's really interesting. You have uh, really interesting things like CSS position for position fix for IE6. Yes. You have so it's doable. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about like this experience of like uh, which seems like two different eras in maybe even more than two in the front end development and now that you are dealing with all this new tooling, like what was it to to be a front end developer back in the day? About well, let's see, like when are we talking? Thomas Wayback Machine, I love it. Back, <laughs> back in my day, huh? you whippersnappers. Um, yeah, back in the day, let's see, like what era were you talking about? Like two thousand three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's nice. Let's start with two thousand five when you started five. writing. Okay, five. Yes. Okay, so two thousand five was awesome. That was when I like got into the Ruby on Rails scene. Like 2004, I was doing like ASP.NET <laughs> stuff. I learned all about Ajax, or actually I was using AHA, which was asynchronous JavaScript and HTML. So, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, just copying, pasting code, derping it out. Uh, and then, yeah, Ruby on Rails taught me all about test-driven development and like how to actually engineer properly. Uh, I was getting all excited about this new thing called version control. Instead of, instead of deploying with zip files and then the website mysteriously being down <laughs> while you're copying files over really fast, what if oh we use version control? Uh, or FTP. Yeah. Like, and so it's in a weird state because not everything is up yet. <laughs> yeah. It's not, like, not even SFTP. It's just like completely yeah. unclear. It's like before they invented hackers, I think. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and then... Um, yeah, I just like, just out of the blue, because I was like blogging Ruby on Rails stuff, out of the blue, um, Top Funky contacted me to do like some project he couldn't do, which was Crazy Egg. And that's... Top Funky, that is Jeffrey Grossenbach, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I haven't talked to him in a long time. I haven't either. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what he's up to. Anyway, then I, I got seriously into JavaScript, because we were doing, uh, it was crazyegg.com, still around, uh, and it's awesome doing all kinds of crazy JavaScript stuff, so really getting into it. And that was like the, um, the prototype days. Prototype was like before jQuery, before MooTools. Mm -hmm. It was like, what if Ruby, but JavaScript? And then from there, like uh, MooTools started as a competitor to Scriptaculous, uh, MooFX, and then he, Valerio, uh, blah, 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 blah. I never learned how to pronounce his last name spun off MooFX into a full-blown uh, MooTools, which ended up like competing with jQuery. And I got involved with, with that, partly just learning JavaScript. I was excited by MooFX. I really loved the graphics of his website. That's what, what got me. And then like reading the source code to MooTools is what, how I learned JavaScript. This is like, there were no books as far as I knew. <laughs> There was like no documentation. There was no MDN. There was no console.log. There was no, it was just alert. I didn't even know how to do that. So just reading the source code to MooTools, I would just read it until I couldn't understand what this meant. And then I'd go on IRC and be like, what does this mean? Like li literally, what does this mean? <laughs> like after people are explaining this to me. Um, so Sebastian Markbedge, like React guy, met him on IRC and he's like, 
explaining all these things to to all of us. Wow. <laughs> We're all derping around trying to figure it out. Just meanwhile, Valerio is like, you know, 1200 IQ, just redefining JavaScript. But all of this was procrastination because I was supposed to actually do, be doing my real job. <laughs> but learning JavaScript and doing all kinds of uh, TextMate stuff, that's how I learned all about uh, Unix shell commands and uh, environment variables and streaming and like all kinds of stuff. I highly recommend learning all kinds of TextMate stuff. All editors are based on TextMate these days in one way or another. <laughs> Snippet syntax, the uh, text, uh, the uh, syntax coloring stuff. It all dates back to, but yeah, just learning that stuff and just like my day job involved battling with IE6, but I've been doing IE since, you know, my first IE was IE3. Wow. Uh, so I'm OG with IE. You were, you were developing for IE3? Yes, that Man. was my first browser. I got, I got a copy of IE3 off of an AOL uh, trial disk at <laughs> Disquette. And uh, it, was, it was supposed to be, it like shipped on Windows 95, but they were like backported it. So I got it running on my Windows 3.11. Oh my God. We didn't have any money. It, it was all dial up. So I would like, I would use yet another trial to get online, just download a bunch of HTML and then I would like uh, log into the internet through the like the free internet for for blind people thing through the library that was all like BBS style bulletin board system like just text and I would download websites through a BBS and then load them up in my browser because I just like I knew that I was behind it's like I knew the web was huge and I was the only one that didn't know how to do it. Like everybody was on the web. It was like 1996. So like, so I'm so far behind. I like, I have a decade's worth of things to catch up. I didn't know, like, like they'd barely invented the internet yet. I, I thought I was 10 years behind, but I was actually 10 years ahead. So I've just been running full steam ahead my entire career, trying to catch up. Meanwhile, I didn't realize that I was chasing was just happened to be going that direction. <laughs> That's I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, it was, a, it was a nightmare, IE6, because like all the official rules for how you're supposed to write websites and how you're supposed to indent all your HTML tags, it would like break stuff. But then I learned that I, I like slowly reverse engineered the IE rendering engine, including all of the quirks and the bugs. For example, if you put a text inside of an A tag, inside of an LI tag, and you do not insert a white space node inside of that LI, it will insert a white space node for you somewhere mysterious and screw everything up. And since there are no development tools, there's no way to figure it out without just <laughs> noodling around with your code forever. Until, wow. Wait, crap, it just went away. What did I do? But there's no version control, so you don't know what you did. Oh my God. <laughs> so Thomas, uh, all that story that it was, bad. It was simpler times before, simpler. so you don't buy that. Uh, I mean, it was, I guess, the same level of complexity, but it was in a different space. It was in like just getting the absolute basics to do anything at all. That's where the complexity lied. There was no dynamic anything. There was no, it was all like Pearl and like there'd be one guy over in the corner covered in Cheeto dust was the only Pearl nerd 
Like you had to bow down to him and whatever his whims are because he's the only one that knew what programming was. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, I'm a print designer. I don't know even how I got this job. It's like, I know all about trapping and and pre-press stuff. Like I, (laughs) I trained to do business cards. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but like they're paying me. I should figure it out. (laughs) <laughs> that's so funny it was weird so i was trying to do like responsive layout in the 90s it's like see the design should reflow based on how wide your browser window is and the developers are like that's not a thing you can't do that I'm like oh, yes you can it's like you use <laughs> tables and you put the 100 percent width on this and then and that's how yeah. i learned to code This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, during during the nineties, my my brother he was uh, also like he got side gigs while he was at university. He made money uh, just designing those sidebars for websites in the nineties. Like, yeah. all the website had like sidebars with like the the all the the available pages on yeah. that particular <laughs> website. So he had like a copy of Photoshop, and he was just doing that for different companies. It, yeah. This was like his his job during most of college. I remember the day, like, I, I, I told my mom, you know what, this is it. And I got really serious and really quiet. This is it. I know what I'm going to do when I grow up. I'm going to design computer graphics for websites. And she told me, no, you're going to get a real job. And fast forward a couple of years, she's a web developer too. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> nice. Yes. That's funny. Brandlighting.com. My mom. <laughs> She still used Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. Yeah. I couldn't it, convince her to switch to to uh, Ruby on Rails. I couldn't convince her to switch to like every other every random fad over the years. I couldn't convince her to do it. And then when mobile came out, it's like all the stuff that she'd been doing for forever was suddenly super relevant again. Google absolutely loves her, so it's just like her OG way of doing it '90s style is still the right way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know where we were going with that. Sorry. It's interesting that you that you talked about uh, Ruby on Rails. It seems that to me that Ruby on Rails is what changed everything, right? Yes. It's what changed the game. Like probably that's like set the whole tone for like web developing general, both back end and front end. It seems that every everything like came from that. Like both yes. practices and patterns and stuff, right? Well that's that's how I got in. And I think yeah. I think Natter was in the Ruby community, or we connected over something like that. I'm trying to remember exactly. Yeah, um, we kind of we did discuss some stuff. I think I think I had first learned about uh, your podcast through Ruby Rogues. Yep. Yeah, the first kind of big DevChat.tv show was Ruby Rogues. 
which is still going. We recorded episode 400 yesterday. Dang, congratulations. Nice. Nice. That's amazing. And episode 350 of JavaScript Jabber yesterday as well. So Nice. Big day. I should consume more. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But this is like the way uh, Ruby on Rails starts like working with the jams and the model view stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, it's one of those one of those things that if it disappears for for some reason it it like everything after that changes it's just like jquery yeah a lot of people say like oh jquery is not relevant anymore and i say like actually oh, it's like, super relevant jquery like did <laughs> like paved the way like jquery is not being relevant because everything that jquery did is already like native in the browsers today yeah the it changed way. the way we think about the dom yeah exactly but i think um a lot of it kind of Ruby on Rails and Mutuals, to me, they, they were so influential, partly because they just had like one really strong, inspiring individual that kind of wasn't, wasn't afraid what people thought, just got out there and said, this is the right way. This is how we're doing it. I don't care what you think. I don't care how you feel. Like, you got to write tests. You got to, <laughs> like, Mutuals philosophy was Mutuals shouldn't exist. JavaScript should just be good. So we're going to extend all the prototypes. Let's just pretend we're living in the future. It'll be awesome. This will <laughs> never come back to bite us. <laughs> yeah. so, and, and there were frameworks before Rails, but Rails, yeah, it, it came out and basically said, we're going to provide a path for you to write. Yeah. Right? An opinionated yeah. path. This is the way we do it. Yeah. And, and doing the videos, like bringing yeah. it forward and, and kind of democratizing it. And I like, love those videos. Making DHH, it, yes. whoops. That's Whoops. that's what got me so excited about like programming. I never wanted to be a programmer. I never the whole engineer like ugh. I wanted to be a designer. But DHS D double H, he got me super excited about like taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. And like w- things can be good, and you don't have to be you know like like that kind of uber nerd mm-hmm. like math guy. Yeah. I remember like it was like it, when I started, it was uh, I was working with .NET too, like ASP.NET and Ruby was around like enough time to start like influencing ASP.NET back again. Yeah. So yeah, at that moment I was like, where where are these ideas coming from? Like, why is it changing that much? And then I was like, oh, there's this whole Ruby on Rails thing. And yeah. then you enter like a whole new world, right? So maybe jQuery and Mutools, like they set the tone for, for how to interact with the DOM and Ruby on Rails were like, how do we start thinking about actual applications in this new domain? It's, yeah. not, it's not only a bunch of scripts here and yeah. there, like you're actually building an application. So you need to make things reliable. You need to understand what's happening. There's There needs to be like a, an architecture uh, yeah. for your application. This is, this is really interesting. Like thinking back on it now, like re- I'm, I'm kind of realizing this in the moment. It's like, why didn't I get into Java? Like Java was serious. They had tests. They, it was like oh, yeah. super legit C plus plus all this stuff. But it was like the concept just had never occurred to me in a million years. I never would have even considered like writing Java or C or or any of these things, C sharp, it's just like, I'm not good enough for that. It's just like, I'd have to be like, that's not the kind of person I am. It just didn't. <laughs> but DHH and kind of the mutuals 
And even like uh, Prototype before that really made it approachable and took these high and lofty concepts and brought it down to like grounded it. Like TDD is not like this highfalutin thing. It's like, it's simple. Just run your tests all the time. (laughs) Makes sense. And that's why I think React is so powerful. So what's the link between this and React in your mind? I was at Facebook as when they were just like first talking about React. And I remember the day when Jordan brought me into this room, got this whiteboard, and he's like drawing things out on the white. Like, what if you could just <laughs> render all the time, but the oh perk God. wasn't bad? And I was like, no way, you can't do that. Impossible. He's like, but what if you could? Like, never. I'll never believe it. But if, it would be awesome. But then Tom Achino just like holding on to this thing, protecting it from the onslaught of things, just letting it kind of grow. And the guiding principle behind React from the very, very beginning was not engineering focused. It was human focused, which like the, the human problem of we have, let's say, Facebook, whatever company has quadrillion lines of code running in production. There's a bug. We need to fix it right now. You grab some random person off, the, off of the internet, throw them in the project, go, fix this, don't break anything. How do you maximize certainty, minimize chaos, and maximize productivity, and maximize the likelihood that that person is not going to hate you and quit their job? Uh, react. That was, it was the, the pit of success of, like, you should accidentally do it the right way without trying. Oh yeah, it's just powerful. So yeah. you were there. You were there when 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 they were thinking about it yet, yeah. when it was still was like, like a white board. Oh. That's crazy. You yeah. saw, you're almost like the Forrest Gump of front end. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you're seeing everything happening. Yeah. Right by your side. That is hilarious. Um, what, what was your role there? Uh, were you, you were a front-end developer at Facebook around that time. Were they just using regular uh, HTML and, and, and PHP and things like that? Uh, they, had, they had all kinds of crazy stuff. There was just a million different kinds of things going on, and that was part of the problem. I was on this crazy project. They were trying to do um, really high-performance mobile uh, web stuff, and they had their own kind of library, and it just wasn't working. I was on the the performance team. I was doing developer tools uh, that ended up, I don't know if any of that stuff ever saw the light of day, but I did a lot of like Android development tools like in 2012 and uh, performance tools and all this stuff um, that kind of was the precursor to some of the the React Native dev tools that I kind of worked on later. And I was there just kind of the for the shift from desktop to the, the mobile first thing. Uh, I started like a, a couple weeks before they got Instagram. I was doing product infrastructure. I, I started a, de- a design tools team of, of just me for a little while with mixed results. <laughs> and then uh, joined the React core team briefly and then went off and did like enterprise-y stuff because I just wanted to use React. And then I switched to React Native as soon as I could, did my own like kind of mini startup within the company as a was like a tool for for salespeople at the company. Then I switched to like uh, another team that was all Android specific. 
I don't remember where we were going with this. No, I was just kind of curious where, um, like what you, what your role was at Facebook around that time. Right. That's pretty cool. Well, were you living in San Francisco at the time? Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they first interviewed me in like 2008 and I told them like, I'm never moving out here. Like you guys are going to have to wake up and like switch to, uh, to uh, allowing remote people. Cause people aren't going to just move out to the Valley forever. You got to wake up. I was, you know, too early for that <laughs> vision of the future as well, but it's happening eventually. But eventually I did end up moving out there anyway. And then I was at uh, a couple of different places and ended up there. Anyway, <laughs> they were right, <laughs> briefly. And then um, like health issues and family stuff, I had to move back uh, east to take care of some stuff. And they allowed me to remain employed remote, which was very unusual. So I was based out of a, um, out of a data center in North Carolina, just in the middle of the forest, Forest City Data Center. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, boom, Forest City. Oh, very cool. Yeah. That's funny. It was really awesome. Yeah, so that was like an hour from my house. So I'd drive out there occasionally. But mostly I just worked from home with my 10 megabits of internet. Heck yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Yeah, and it was, it was an interesting time dealing with lots of um, personal stuff, health stuff, family stuff. and Yeah. It's uh, so crazy. Some, sometimes uh, I think about like the, the development, like uh, life, right? We, we work, but we, we're always like learning and looking for stuff. Yeah. So this whole family, it, it can be very overwhelming to people. Sometimes people, people yeah. uh, talk to me like, oh, so do you plan on people from... It's very like profession, different professions. Like, do you plan to do like a master's study on something to keep yourself up to date? What and I was mean? thinking like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a whole different world. I was like, I think I study like every day. Yeah. Do you even web, <laughs> it's bro? Like, <laughs> it's like, I never, I never stop. And, and this is like, and when, when you have like those situations with like family and stuff, you sometimes oh, yeah. need to really like understand and. Okay, so I need to to plan myself on how how I can deal with this stuff and still be like up to date for my work and things like That's that. Really hard. So after I left Facebook, uh, it's been a year ish or more. I took some time off to to recharge. It's like the first time I've actually taken time off since ever since I mm -hmm. started in the '90s. Took some time off. We moved to to Florida, dealt with some family things. And I did a lot of like volunteering and really kind of focused on my work-life balance and, and spending a lot more time with the kids and, and discovering myself and stuff. And then when I started getting back into coding again, I was like, oh crap, like I don't know anything anymore. It's like <laughs> so many things changed with everything. Like Gatsby came out of nowhere. Next JS came out of nowhere. It's like all this stuff, like, Suddenly, I'm a complete noob, and I just got to just learn everything from scratch again, I guess. How do I even see Seth anymore? That's funny. Yeah, if you get into that discussion on Twitter, you'll see a lot of uh, heater on that, too, at the moment. It's crazy. Don't get me started. I'm on both sides of that fence. Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything you all wanted to touch on before we jump to the picks, though? I'm good. I, I always oh, take use prettier. Everybody should use prettier. <laughs> just, that's some futuristic stuff right there yeah we just we just did uh the migration here at zocdoc yes we, we're, we're moving like all our projects to to prettier oh and typescript if you're not on typescript you're like you're 10 years behind guys come on <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this is still half and half here. It's not full. They'll get on board. <laughs> I've been wanting to do an episode on Prettier on uh, JavaScript Jabber. So keep an eye out for that. I've talked to a couple of team members. It's just a matter of lining it up. But yeah, yeah definitely. That's one and of the we, biggest changes in our whole industry. Yeah. And then I also need to get um, Anders back on to talk about TypeScript again. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com react. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Anyway, I'm going to push us toward picks. Natter, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I started on a book last week that I've heard about so many times over the last few years. In fact, I think I heard about it first on JavaScript Jabber, one of the picks that they had a few years ago. And it's called Godel, Escher, and Bach, An Eternal Golden Braid. And it's uh, written by Douglas Hofstetler. It's a pretty long book, but the I guess core discussion is how uh, math, music, and art kind of have a, have similarities and, and how they also have similarities to other disciplines. So far, I'm really enjoying it. I'm about 50, 60 pages <laughs> in, so I haven't gotten that far, but I'm really liking it so far. Nice. Uh, Lucas, what are your picks? So I have two picks today. Uh, my first one is Odie but, but Gold. It's the CSS Tricks website. I'm always going back to to them. It's so good. Like they have like always like a new article. They have great like I I love the snippets part where they have like small guides and tutorials on CSS stuff. Uh, it's good. Like in my uh, professional life as a front end, from time to time I transition from like I'm for three months almost like deep into JavaScript parts. And then for other like two months, I am more in the CSS. Sometimes when we are like starting a project and, and things like that. And like CSS tricks is like always there. I almost have a fixed tab on the complete guide to Flexbox of CSS tricks already. <laughs> it's like, I can't, yeah, it's one of the most helpful ones. And my second pick is a, is a blog post by Silas Ray Nagel. It's, called Indirection is Not Abstractions. In my quest to deal with uh, code complexity, I'm, I'm looking a lot on like uh, trying to read, find posts that talk about the experience people have with like dry or not dry. When should I write an abstraction or not? Because I think that this is probably things that are hurting us the most. Yeah, it is a great post on the subject. So these are my two picks. Nice. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. First of all, I did mention, um, and so I'm just going to shout them out. Over the next few weeks, you're going to get a few, I guess, sort of milestone episodes from some of the shows. Uh, Ruby Rogues, episode 400. JavaScript Jabber, episode 350. React Roundup, episode 50 is coming up. Views on View, episode 50 I'm recording today. 
with the rest of the panel there. Elixir Mix, I think, is also coming up on 50. And yeah, Adventures in Angular, I think, is the only one that we currently record that is probably a little further out. We're probably a few months away from hitting 250 there. So anyway, uh, lots of stuff going on there. I'm also going to start doing DevRev again. And that's just me answering questions for people about coding careers. How do I deal with my team? How do I deal with my boss? How do I you know, get to the place that I want to be at with my career? How do I find a better job? How do I find a job? I'm brand new. How do I start learning whatever? I, I get into a lot of that stuff. So anyway, really looking forward to that. I'm also going to just shout out, I think we're a few weeks ahead, so I don't know how relevant it'll be by the time this goes live, but I am still looking for one or two people to help me with show notes. So if you're interested in doing that, I am paying people for that, but um, it probably doesn't compare to what you can make writing code. But if you know somebody who's a decent writer, um, I'm happy to talk to him about that. Thomas, what are your picks? Hello. I guess what what I would have to pick is objectivepersonality.com. That's my my obsession du jour is just like there there's a research team in Portland, Oregon that's been diving into the to trying to to make cuz you know how the there's the big 5 uh, personality blah 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 that's more or less scientific-ish. They're trying to do that but with a much much higher degree of of resolution and that's been just like learning the kind of the, the the math of how people's brains work and how people work differently and how you can kind of uh, hack your own uh, kind of energy levels and and attention span and things to like be more intentional with how you um, how you get stuff done and how you av- avoid draining yourself out and and how to intelligently recharge and stuff like that. But in, in general what I've been obsessing over lately is just focusing more on the soft skills. Notion.so is my, my latest obsession. Organizing my whole life. Yeah, that's, we run devchat.tv on Notion.so. Awesome. It's just so good. And then, um, you know, David Allen's Getting Things Done, uh, Checklist Manifesto, E-Myth, all that stuff I've been trying to get into. I haven't heard Checklist Manifesto. I've read yeah, the other two. Yeah, it's cool because like, um, uh, airline pilots have to do this checklist. Both of them, pilot, co-pilot, have to go through the checklist. And they talk about how like surgeons tried it out and deaths went down. And maybe we should all have a checklist. Yes, this is this is a really good book. Mm-hmm. It changed yeah. a lot. It's funny, like after reading that book, I don't automate anything <clears throat> before having at least a, a period of a manual checklist. Yeah. So I use checklists almost as a development phase of any automation I, I make. Yeah. It's, I kind of think of it as like uh, manual unit tests where the, the, the programming language is just English and the, the engine is yeah. my brain, just That's like it. I will obey my commands that I designed later. When I first started doing QA, I ran tech support, internal politics, I wound up moving to QA. Fun. And yeah, that's what we did is we just wrote test scripts and the test script was click this, do this. And it, it, yeah. it was literally instructions for a human being to go and use yeah. their hands with their mouse you know, and their keyboard. And yeah, it's the same kind of thing. And in, interestingly enough, I hired, uh, I know we're kind of riffing on other stuff now, but yeah. I hired a business coach last year. Awesome. Um, and he, he has a system that he walks you through. 
And so the first part of the system is figuring out kind of your why, right? So it's mission, vision, values. Yes. And, um, you know, I kind of went through some hard stuff this last year. I'll probably talk about it a little bit more on episode 50 because I got asked about it on Ruby Rogues. And um, all of a sudden, I watched my co-host eyes kind of light up. Oh, that's what he's trying to do. But yeah, so I figured all that stuff out. And then the next thing is, is setting up job roles and setting up checklists. Yes. And I'll tell you, that having a specific focus for the shows, I realized that I'm spending a ton of time on minutia that's, hey, how do we get the show out? How do we, you know? Mm -hmm. And so just making sure that I have those checklists and then moving through that, right? So it's like, this is your job and this is how we do your job. Yeah. And from there, then then it's okay. Now I don't have to worry about all of the little details for that. And I can focus on, here's the kind of difference I want to make for the listener. Yeah, that's some e-myth stuff also where they yeah. get get into the like there's the if you're running a thing you you got to be like the visionary, yep. the manager and the technician. Yep. When you're in technician mode, you're do not think about the vision. You're just execute, execute, yeah. execute. You know, plan the work, mm-hmm. work the plan. Yep. etc. Yeah, exactly. And so me getting into technician mode is here's the checklist so somebody else can be the technician. Yeah. I want to get to that eventually <laughs> it's it's a lot of work i mean it's yeah. funny because people are like they're looking for this silver bullet if you just do yeah, this right. but all of the things that are going to make a difference yeah if you just spend six months on it right? <laughs> right. it's like everything takes time and um oh, yeah. and effort it, and if you're yeah. not going to execute it's not going to happen period yeah. and you got to get serious and you got to take responsibility like yeah. gary v stuff of just like you have to own it it has to be on you. You can't just like, ah, oh, that, that's somebody else's problem. No, Another pick problem. for you here, Extreme Ownership. Yes. Book by uh, Jocko Willink and yes. I can't remember his co-author's name, but holy cow. It's like the, the stuff that we always write off as, you know, it's coincidence, not really your fault. No, you put yourself there, right? Yeah. So it's still partially your fault. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how do I not put myself there next time? Yeah. And yeah, some of this stuff, it, it's, you know, you're going to do all of the reasonable things and bad crap's going to happen, but you're still the one that wasn't prepared or didn't put yourself in a situation where you could handle it. And that's mm-hmm. where you're at. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like this, uh, this ownership uh, way of thinking because a lot of times people, people tell people tell me like, it was not your fault, right? A lot of times, really, it's not your fault. You can't control. But if you think that you can't control, I prefer to err on the side of like, thinking that it was my fault when that was not mm-hmm. then to err on my side that like thinking that I could, do, could not do something and I actually could. Yeah. Right? That's the kicker, so, right? That, that's the kicker for me is I'm empowered to control it. It's like fixed mindset versus growth mindset. If you're fixed mindset, it's yeah. like, well, there's nothing I can do. No point in trying. It's just fate. Lol. Perfect. Uh, growth mindset is like, there's something I can do. What can I do? Let's do that. Yes. And then, and then, yeah, like even like my wife sometimes is like, you're being too hard on yourself now. Like you couldn't control that. But I, I, I always try to think, but maybe there was something I could do. Right. Yeah. It's like in yeah. the outside, your mind starts like working on like thinking about possibilities that are really like out, out of the box because you are, you're making yourself like more powerful than, than. Yeah just because well, you, you believe. So the other thing is, is you can't control the person who runs the red light and hits you with a car. Right. Right. But, but you, you can control take- whether or not you right. had money in the bank. 
whether you had yeah. sufficient insurance coverage. Exactly. So there are all these other things, right? Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been as aggressive and then he would have run through the red light before I got there. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, so there are things yeah. and that's, that's the thing, right? Is you look at it and you say, okay, next time I'm going to make sure I have better insurance, make sure I have, you mm-hmm. know, do what you can do. This but is what DevRev is all about, by the way. Awesome. That's where the Perfect. objective personality stuff is getting so handy for me because it's like, it helps you kind of see yourself a little bit more clearly. So I can see like, if I ever say what I really need is more freedom, I know that that's just just my default programming speaking. That might not be the truth. Maybe what yeah. I need is less freedom. Or if I say, this guy said this thing and that offended me, I'm like, well, maybe I'm just oversensitive. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it really is just down to don't be the victim because it doesn't empower yeah. you to change your situation. Yeah. Oh, good excited stuff. Excited for a DevRev. Love it. Yeah. I'm going to be publishing this week videos from uh, CES. So it's going to oh, be awesome. a little bit more cool tech kind of stuff. But yeah, then uh, I'll, I'll get back into the rhythm of talking about this stuff. Sweet. Nice. I've been trying to get into the AV stuff. You know, I got my mic video. I just kind of, you know, on my OBS setup, all this stuff, just trying to get into the rhythm of it. Yep. But it's, you know, it's like everything else it takes time and effort. Well, you got to, you got to make a, uh, you know, you got to make it a habit. Yeah. Oh, right, isn't there well, a book, and... Power of Habit or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that one yet. Um, it's on my list. <laughs> it's on my list too. I'll get it right and do it. I, I think I actually own it on Audible and I just haven't gotten around to listening to it yet. <laughs> Thomas, if people want to find you online, where do they go? It's uh, Subtle Gradient everywhere, Twitter, uh, GitHub, wherever else. Yeah, I think most of the, the JavaScript community lives on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, also, thingsthatdostuff.com. Awesome. I'm also on uh, YouTube, trying to YouTube it up. Nice. We'll have to, because I'm doing DevRev on YouTube, so we'll have to oh, sync up, do some crossover stuff. That'd be fun. Sweet. All right, cool. Well, let's awesome. go ahead and wrap this up, and we will catch everyone next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Awesome. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>